You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, in our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be talking with Mamone from the Queer Appalachia Electric Dirt Collective about queer rural life, addiction, grief, and much more. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? That's a really good question. Before both of us lose access to the internet, given our trips coming up mm-hmm. um y'all should stay on the internet though uh subscribe to us using your favorite podcast application make sure to leave us a review on itunes they're really fun to leave what else are you doing anyways right now listening to us you might as well just open up the app you know on the social media tip you can uh find us on twitter and on facebook facebook you can just search for our podcast name to keep up with us episode updates and all that good stuff we also have a closed community group, which is Feminist Killjoys Community WTF Power exclamation point. And on Spotify, we have a Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape that Rachel keeps up to date with. Thank you very much. And if you have some extra money and want to support us feminist media makers, you can go to our website, fkjphd.com, and click on the Patreon logo where it'll take you to Patreon. You could also just go to Patreon if you wanted to and use your search skills. And uh, people who leave us a dollar or more a month get sticker, get a sticker, FKJ sticker, access to our Killjoy review newsletter. And then also people that give $5 a month or more get all that good stuff, plus access to our bonus episodes and other online content through Patreon. If you just want to leave a one-time donation, we also have a birdie on our website, which connects us to our PayPal situation. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us directly, email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. Did I say that correctly? You did. That felt weird. No. Okay. I was just doing so well that I started to doubt myself. <laughs> and then uh, last but not least, you can call us and leave us a voicemail, which like I could get, you know, when I'm on my trip. 414-858-7818. And that is a U.S. number. Uh, how are you doing, Rachel? Oh, I'm okay. Um, I'm okay. It's been, it's don't been a week. don't sound very aesthetic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of it. So full disclosure, we talked a little bit before we started recording about just, you know, just mental health stuff. And it dawned on me as which it shouldn't have shouldn't have taken this long. But as we've talked about many times on the show, you know, it it is like officially summer, summer. And we have talked about our reverse seasonal affective disorder. So I'm sure that's contributing to it as well. Um, But yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on. I'm I'm in the midst of transition and I ebb and flow as to whether or not I'm feeling stoked about that or less than stoked about that. But I am stoked about uh, the fact that I'm leaving tomorrow for this trip to Alaska, which I've talked about on the show before, uh, that I'm going on for my mom's 60th birthday because it is her bucket list item. And I have always promised myself that I was going to take her there. So I am. And that is tomorrow, which is exciting. How are you? It is summer here. I'm sweating. We had to put the AC in because it's like 90 degrees. That's unseasonably warm for here. Um, I'm leaving for a bicycle trip around the rural area of Wisconsin very soon. A lot of Wisconsin is rural. So it's the, if people are familiar with the area, it's the Organic Valley and Driftless region. So that's going to be really fun. It's my first bike trip, which means it's like multiple days. We're going to camp outside. 
I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go with the That's flow. That's awesome. It's going to be fine. It's going to be good. I like to bike. I'm just, you know, I'm such a You like routine too, yeah. 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 Like you can put me in like a hostel or like a punk house and I'm set. But it's like the outside. I'm like, I don't know. Just channel former guest of the show, Carrot Gwynn. Oh, I will. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, in general, things are fine. I'm, I had a good day. Like, uh, I don't, with the summer schedule, it's like, okay, I can appreciate having like a full day just to like do what I want. So if I want to hang out with my friend for an extra half an hour, I don't have to rush off to do something. So that's good. That's, that was that's a nice feeling. the hard part. But yeah, good. I'm glad that that felt easy today. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should just get right on ahead with this incredible interview we've been so lucky I mean every interview we've had has has always been awesome but um this one I think you'll hear uh that I was very moved (laughs) the entire conversation so we had the deep privilege of getting to talk with somebody from the collective that you may have seen online as Queer Appalachia and also their zine project is called Electric Dirt so I've been a big big fan of them as soon as I discovered them gosh, probably about a year ago, and have just been obsessed with everything they post, everything that they're doing, because they're bringing attention to uh, queer uh, and queer POC life in rural areas. And I really resonate with just trying to sort of nuance the the narrative of rural folks, working class folks in general. And um, so I, I really love what they're doing. And we, I also discovered that we also have a connection uh, that that is also very uh, moving, I guess. The the foundation of this project started because of a suicide. So I'm, I'm saying that for a couple of reasons, including that I want to give a content note because this episode is going to talk about uh, suicide addiction. Um, so please, please note that. But uh, I actually know of the person who who inspired this project and uh Mamone will talk about about her a lot in the show that just felt that that felt like a lot because if you're in the queer community you you likely know somebody who who's who's taken mm-hmm. their life and um that's a really really hard fact that that just feels heavy um but also it felt special to connect with somebody who was taking their grief and doing something so so special with it so Melody I don't know if there's anything else you want to say before the show starts or if you would maybe want to read Mamone's bio for us and introduce them. I would love, them. yeah, I would lo- love to do that. And uh, I don't think I got to say my quip during our interview, but Rachel mentions at one point how moved she is. And then I was also, but because I'm a stoic German, I was like, <laughs> not I wasn't as expressive with my emotions as Rachel tends to be, but you all, if you're a longtime listener, you all know that. So I also was very, it's a very captivating interview. Mamone is a wonderful person. So anywho, Mamone is a audio engineer and artist living in the coal fields of West Virginia. Mamone engineered and produced some of the first Riot Girl albums to come out in the Pacific Northwest. Whoop, whoop. Up until 2014, they were the president of Riot Girl Inc., the largest queer record label in the world, with an artist roster of over 200 that range from the Gail Opry to Andrea Gibson. In 2014, in an act of solidarity with the emerging Black Lives Matter movement and in an intentional act of reparations and redistribution of wealth, Mamone gave Riot Girl Inc., 
to Awkward, the first queer POC indigenous talent agency. These days, they produce and engineer live streaming events and albums all over the world. Mamone is the creative director of the Queer Appalachia Project. They communicate with over 70,000 people a day who call home below the Mason-Dixon through the project's social media platform. Mamone's art will be featured in a solo show this fall at the Shahira Days Gallery in Louisville, Kentucky. And I probably totally butchered that because I'm from the Midwest. With the Days, the Shahira Days Gallery. So... Apologies to Mamone if I totally butchered that. Anyways, that is quite a, a bio. Quite a bio. And you will see why that bio comes to life in just a moment. It's true. Take Shall us I there. take us there? Please do. Excellent. So can we just jump right in? And I would love to just sort of hear in your words what Queer Appalachia is all about, the electric dirt zine, and how it all how this idea was sort of created, how it got off the ground, um, and who was involved in the creation of it. We've been one big accident from the very beginning. Um, We started out our very first incarnation, and and still for me, it's what got me originally involved. So it's still uh, an important part to me. But we came together originally to be a memorial project for a friend of mine, uh, Bryn Kelly, who I was a friend of mine my the majority of my life. I met her when she was 16, and in 2016, she killed herself. Um, and the reason why I spend 60 hours a week on this, process, on this project is because it's for Bryn, yeah. is because I think that her work, her work is, is still important and that she is, she's still magical. Yeah. Um, but I, I met Bryn when she was 16 years old. And at the time, I was uh, about 21, barely old enough to buy a drink, though. I was, at, I was doing my undergrad at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. And I had several work-study positions. It's how I paid my way through school because my, my family wasn't talking to me. And, I, and one of them was literally in the university's LGB office. Uh, it, it that was all the letters we had. It was that long ago. <laughs> yeah. It was the early it was the early nineties for real. And it was literally in a closet. We could only fit three people in there. And when we got a lending library, we could only fit two. Um, we had no training at all. It was totally inappropriate for, for students to to be in that office. Looking back, but at the time, I needed the money, and it it was more queer acceptance than I could ever fathom coming from. Uh, the very remote part of the coal fields of the state of West Virginia in the southern part, which is where I grew up. Um, And one day this 16-year-old kid comes into the office crying with a paper Kroger bag and just just clothes and things overflowing the, the bag. And this kid had been crying for decades and ugly crying for decades. The paper bag was was starting to fray from from the tears and and being busted from the inside out and and that's how I met Bryn Kelly I met Bryn Kelly the day that her her mother kicked her out of her house um her her mom found some porn and said no (laughs) you know super conservative Pentecostal Christians and Bryn looked in the phone book 
And the only thing that said gay in, you know, rural West Virginia in the early 90s w- would be something affiliated with the local university. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's how I met Bryn. No mm-hmm. call, no anything, just came straight to that address. And what, what followed was unusual, but it didn't seem unusual at the time. Um, only in passing, only after her death did the, the people that decided to take Bryn in feel that it was weird that we took her in. It, it seemed inappropriate. We didn't get authorities involved or the city or anything like that. She just started staying with us, the mm. small, close-knit queer community on campus. It was all the same dozen people. You know, the people that worked in the office were also the Lambda Society officers. Like, I mean... It really wasn't much community, but still at that time and that age for that place, it was more community than I could even wrap my head around coming from the coal field. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just made it work. We passed off student IDs so we could eat, so she could eat. We, <laughs> no one told us that it couldn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, I mean, we talked about it for a minute. We were like, hey, what if the authorities get involved? But I mean her family didn't want her and we thought about what it would be like putting this this very effeminate kid into the Cabell County foster shelter system and it just seemed like a cruel joke like this kid wasn't going to be adopted this kid wasn't going to be placed this kid was just going to encounter physical mental and emotional spiritual tragedy after another until they aged out and then they're going to be in the exact same situation they are now and qualify for less services right <laughs> so Bryn, Bryn lived with us and um we we just made it work and at the time i was becoming very obsessed with the riot girl movement mm-hmm. and what what that meant uh, the internet wasn't the internet yet there was like some GeoCities pages and not much, but it was enough for me <laughs> yes. to, to learn how, right? It was enough for me to learn how to like mail order things from Kill Rockstars and K Records right. and totally. to start to get zines and these these mixtapes sent to me. Uh, like it, I mean, it's crazy now that I, w- I that that would take three to four weeks to do with money orders, and now I could download everything in a field, right. <laughs> you know. But but that was that was the cutting edge technology at the time, and so these zines started coming in, and it was unlike anything that any of us had ever seen. Um, I mean, I was taking I was taking some feminist studies classes as part of part of my undergrad, but I mean, feminist studies, rural Appalachia, early nineties. I knew all all the Bronte sisters. It really wasn't you know centered in a way that that it is now. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, it just kind of like opened up that whole world to us. And Bryn started saying that she was like, I'm going to make a zine for us. I'm going to make a zine that that kind of brings all these really complicated, nuanced, hysterical truths about where we come from and who we are and blend it together. Um, because, I mean, we we were aware even at that young age that we weren't seeing positive images of ourselves in media Mm -hmm. like it was a big deal when we saw parts of ourselves reflected especially in in queer content um i know that could sound crazy for younger people but i mean i'm i'm 41 and (laughs) that's what what the early 90s were like Mm -hmm. before the internet 
you know, and it was this thing that she she just always talked about from the time that she was she was sixteen, and when she passed away, going back and you know when you when you start to go through those text messages and the G chats and all the emails and all that stuff, and start to try to figure out things, what happened? When did I not get back fast enough? Mm-hmm. You know, when you start to mm-hmm. to do that stuff. Um, I, it, it was surprising to me how much of our conversations were about this zine yeah. that was just a joke between us that took de- like a decade of jokes. Like there, <laughs> there were just texts for stories, story ideas that she was going to write one day. Things uh. like, I love Wendell Berry, but I love to get my dick wet on Instagram. <laughs> or, or, you know, oral sex tips from shape note singers. Like, like they always were just like, did this amazing job of like being being in this current contemporary world but also acknowledging this really complicated homespun heritage traditional base culture that we come from Mm -hmm. and kind of making peace with all the places you know all the puzzle pieces that don't that aren't supposed to fit in when that's what you have to work with she you know she found like this magic algorithm that just made it made it okay made it not to be this kind of internal cognitive dissidence but like she like through her humor and her insight and her art and her grace and god bless her wit even though it could sting too she was able to create this space uh with with her words of kind of that constant battle inside of you when you're from these places, but you're still of this world and have to participate in this world mm. that it, she kind of found a way to, to make you call truth inside of yourself and just kind of make peace with it and find humor and beauty and strength and, you know, roots, you know, that's, that's what gives us that strength, you know, those roots. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is, um, I mean, there's no, there's not words that aren't going to sound sort of trite, but it is a beautiful and tragic sort of foundational story of, of this project, but how amazing that, that you could honor her legacy like that. Thank you so much for taking the time to give listeners sort of a snapshot of who she was and how she's living on in this. Thank you. Yeah. Bryn was a badass. I I encourage people like Google her, read her writing. She's a, she's a Lambda literary fellow. She she was a badass activist. Like back yeah. in back in the day when the Michigan Women's Music Festival was was still afoot. Mm-hmm. Like Bryn 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 passed so well. Like I always look like a man next to Bryn. Yeah. She would say, <laughs> every picture of us. That's what she would say. Look, yeah. me and a man. But like Bryn, Bryn was able to just walk in and out of Mishfest with full privilege. Yeah. And she would use that privilege to literally flyer every porta potty on the that's rad (laughs) it's going on at camp trance up the road like she like she she just was a badass she was amazing she was beautiful from the inside out so then how what are the goals of qa now so given the story what 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 do you do i mean rachel mentioned the instagram account and i know you mentioned that you enjoy being on the internet is it are you, do you see this organization as, as mostly internet-based or what things do you do on the ground as well? Oh, that's like 14 questions. Um. <laughs> I know, okay. Okay. Um. How about, we'll start with like the, like the general goal of the organization. How about that? Okay. 
Well, okay. Well, I, we kind of, that's cool. <laughs> like, okay. One step at a time. Um, yes. I, we let our we we let our community dictate what we do. It, that's kind of how it, it's been so far. When I originally signed up to make a zine, I'm a first generation riot girl. I thought I was going to be making a zine with a stapler and mm-hmm. a glue stick, <laughs> and I thought it was going to be. I mean, and even then, when I when I put up when I put up the GoFundMe, I was like, "Is too grand too much to ask strangers to give me to make a memorial zine?" Is that like I I was having a conversation with with Kaylee, another member of the collective, and that I was like, is two thousand dollars too much for total strangers to give me? Am I asking too much? Are they are they going to think that I'm just like not even connected to reality and need to come down? And when I closed down the GoFundMe when we were going to press. We had over thirty thousand dollars in pre-orders. Oh my gosh! Wow. Like our community wow. has always di- already always dictated where our next steps are, mm-hmm. and so that meant that that zine that we were going to make, <laughs> it didn't have staples in it. There, <laughs> there wasn't a glue stick involved. It's a two hundred page, full color copy. Uh, it, it looks it looks like a bridal book for rural queers. It looks queers. beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is, is is what it looks like, and we were and we were able to 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 keep Bryn in the mix, like. Because we were given that money, we were able to choose choose beautiful cardstock, be- you know, all of those things. We were able to make something that is visually engaging. With, it's very tactile with the textures and everything and the quality of the paper. I mean, it, we were able to make something super beautiful, which I know is what she what she would have wanted. And so, I mean, that kind of dictated that. And even with, with the Instagram, when... I first put the call up asking for submissions. There were more submissions than we could handle to make a zine very yeah. quickly. That's how the Instagram became submission based and community curated. Like I was like, we can have a real in real time zine here. It can it can be like a very unique quilt of community, and it's it's really just it grows on our on its own. We've been around about two years, and our collective social media reaches 70,000 people daily that we interact wow. with through the internet. Um, and all of those people in one way I identify or support or they're super haters of rural <laughs> queers mm-hmm. in Appalachia in the South. So we just kind of, we let the community dictate. It's kind of dictated where we're going to when we published the zine I published a story in the zine about why I make so many random things and put them on the internet. <laughs> and part of that was I, I do that because I'm, I'm in recovery and I'm in the coal fields of West Virginia on the side of a mountain. And when you look at how I look visually, it's not logical for me to go to a meeting even though I didn't put it together mm. till people started writing in. I knew, I knew not to even try to go to a meeting so every night I have a couple hours where I make things with my hands without any screens, without any, anything. I go analog. I listen to vinyl. I try to totally unplug and I make things and me talking about my own struggle with opioid epidemic, with opioid addiction after a, a car accident and getting hooked on those uh, for pain management 
got a lot of people writing in about their own trials and tribulations being queer Appalachians with the opioid epidemic. And some of the things they said just really broke my heart and let me understand how much privilege I have to, to live the way that I do and to Appalachia could be a lot worse for me (laughs) or on me Mm -hmm. to, to maneuver. Like, and we ended up doing a, a poll and doing interviews with a hundred of them that had written in. We had that many people write in. We were like, Hey, what if we, we put some questions together and we try to like, just understand this a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And some of the stories like it, it blew me away. I talked to a trans woman who was starting to do her 90 and 90 and she went to her first meeting and she didn't, she didn't even start to share yet. She got her name out and the person that was running the meeting stopped everything, stopped her, cut her off, said, no, what's your real name? Oh. We're going to call you what your mama calls you, what your mama calls you. Oh, jeez. like, but like, and so what does that, that place becomes, it becomes just something else to run away from and self-medicate. It mm-hmm, becomes like when mm-hmm. you get dead, dead veins, right? Like, I mean, it's it's already loaded. It's in a church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The building's right. already a loaded right. issue. Like it, it. When you look at the geography of faith here, if it was in a larger, more metropolitan area where people have a more nuanced sense of the totality, but it's a lot of fire and brimstone here, and a man with an imaginary abacus in the sky, and like it's. I mean, it's loaded already before you walk in the door. Right. Is what I'm yeah but then you get just you're able to navigate all that bullshit she had to navigate it because she needed her paper signed or she was going to go back to prison and get kicked out of her halfway house Mm -hmm. like it wasn't even an option for her to leave that meeting after Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and do you know who had to sign her her piece of paper the asshole that That that. asked her name yeah of course yep so like what i mean people come to these places and this is the this is the number one resource. It, it's and it's free, right? Because most most people that are at rock bottom are not independently wealthy, right? Those are definitely the minority. Like like twelve step meetings that are run by the communities themselves is really the backbone of people that don't have insurance seeking treatment yep. and trying to find mm-hmm. experience, strength, hope, and accountability. I mean, people go to those rooms to share, to share experience, strength, and hope, and to make connections, and to make a community, and to make an intentional family as people try to clean up the shit show they've made of their life. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's what, I mean, I'm, I, ha- I have almost five years clean. I mean, like, as an addict, that's, that's how you wake up. Right. You, you destroy everything around you, and by that process, if you're lucky enough to not kill yourself first, you will understand you are also destroying yourself. Right. Like no one is, no one's there to help you pick up the pieces more than likely. And everyone is tired of your bullshit. Hell, you're tired of your bullshit. Or right. You wouldn't be there. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, and then you add a rural queer lens to that. More than likely, the family's not involved, and if they are, there's something to, that you want to self-medicate or need to self-medicate around. I mean, rural queer life is isolating, and there's a very small small tight-knit community there even if even without addiction you know it, it's still very yeah. small and tiny yeah and then you throw yeah. an addiction and then no one within so many hours of you will talk to you 
and they probably shouldn't because of how you were acting. Like this is this is you against the world, and the only people that might be on your side at all are whatever caseworkers you have through government agencies and these people in these twelve step rooms. Right. Like this is a they support each other on rebuilding their life together, and that's what it's for. What those people want to touch you, literally. What if at the end of the meeting you go to a to do a serenity prayer and everyone holds hands and no one holds hands yeah. with with the gender queer in the yeah. corner? Yeah, like that. It it doesn't become it. It can't be anything positive at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't. I didn't talk to anybody who who willingly threw their life away. I mean, everyone. I mean, if you would have moved out, if you would have left, if you could have left the area, they would have. Mm-hmm. Like poor working class, and beyond living paycheck to paycheck, trying to. I mean, most of them were trying to pay off crazy fines right. just to, you know, get licenses back and things, right. things like that. I mean, like I can totally see how at a, just a point they give up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, like, it's, there's no, there's nothing to do but like just be as numb as possible for the end of the world, right? Like so so many people just said this is like that is the in different wording, but that's basically what they said. Um, I mean, like, and when you look at when you look at Appalachia and the opioid epidemic, and everyone says it's ground zero, and it, I mean it is, but we we. We, can't, we don't get past that. It's like that information is so shocking. We're still like letting it dissolve on our palate before we like mm-hmm. move on to the next course. Mm-hmm. But the next course is like, yes, those numbers are a garbage fire. But when we start to look at minority lenses, those numbers we can't even swallow of like 60% and up of the population, depending on counties and where you're looking at, it just goes up from that 60 but when we start to look at lenses that are more specific of minorities, and we, we look at, we look at brown, black, indigenous, we look at queer people, that, that those numbers just go up. Right. And when we look at intersections of those minorities, it just goes up even further. Right. Like we're not, we're not addressing, we're not addressing queer Appalachians in recovery at all. And that explains why we're dying so fast from the opioid epidemic why our personal numbers are through the chart yeah yeah it it was just it's kind of uncanny i was just at a mental health panel um hosted by our local npr station but there was a woman on the panel who runs a cultural wellness and mental health center and she is of african-american descent and what she was driving home, basically, if I could be so blunt, is that like our whole mental health and addiction services is so rooted in white middle class culture. So it was basically they were saying a very similar thing that like even to get in, even to we have to start the conversation somewhere totally different. Like we can't keep coming back to this white middle class framework of mental health and addiction services. And I, you kind of answered a question that I was going to ask you anyways about uh, why community-centered addiction help is so important. And I mean, you, you said, you just explained it through the case study of going, trying to go to an AA or an NA meeting. Um, and I go to, I used to be a weekly attendee of Al-Anon meetings, so I'm very familiar with that culture and I can see how that could happen in an instant. But I think it's really important for people to remember like 
you need community centered health care and mental health care. And it, like you said, like people are just so still so shocked about it. And they were calling that like mental health or addiction health 101 <laughs> in the panel. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we need to be at like three, we need to be at a graduate level class to use the analogy, you know, but we just keep having these like 101 conversations. It's like, okay, that's not, we're not going anywhere with that. We need to start talking about these intersectionalities that you mentioned. So I just wanted to throw in that experience. I just had like an hour ago. So it's, uh, yeah. An yeah. Thing to address. Yeah, I'm glad that those these conversations are happening more for sure. My mom um, has been sober for over goodness, I always forget lots of years, well over 20 years at this point. And she tried to go to AA, but it was like in the late 80s, early 90s, was a bunch of white middle class men whose wives were taking care of the kids and she was a single mom so she couldn't like go to meetings in the middle of the day when you know she had to work multiple jobs Mm -hmm. and support and take care of me um so like that culture just didn't work for her at all and think I just think whatever spirit helped her helped her stay sober anyway but yeah as you were talking I was like yep as I you know we were in Northern Ohio, so but it felt rural in a lot of ways and um, definitely working class, so that resonates a lot. And I think these these sort of anecdotes and this data that you're collecting in these you know sort of surveys and interviews are just such a testament to how while I would never conflate all mental health and addiction issues to only structural things and you know completely discount what's happening in our bodies, like the structural stuff matters so so much, and I think it's so clear when when you start to dig into the stuff that you're digging into so it's amazing that you got so many responses what are you um plan planning to do with these responses do you i mean you'll you know publish them somewhere i'm guessing (laughs) we we've we've actually never thought of that we're we we are not academics i know you all are (laughs) are, are academic we're all artists that like to make things Mm -hmm. and we like to make change is what is what we say to ourselves yeah um, well maybe we, we can collaborate we kind of, oh we we'd love that we'd love that we we are are i guess we, we skip right we skip theory and go to praxis yeah maybe, which is great is is what is what we're doing we are creating a digital peer-led online recovery space mm. that's accessible 24 7 we have uh, some amazing social workers and therapists in the collective that are helping us put this together in a in a grown-up, responsible, legal way. And we have about 20 rural queers in recovery with five-plus years, and that number is growing daily, uh, thankfully, that are going to be admins and mods in the group. And the idea is that if there's no no meeting near you meetings aren't an option in real life there's always a meeting here with people that understand what you're going through and we're going to also have available e-sponsors and if you're going to be an e-sponsor you need to be willing to go to your sponsee at least once a month and have a in real life meeting even if it's just the two of you and we're getting ready to launch our a patreon around the project and we're we're super excited about it. We are we hope to be in official beta testing by the end of summer. Amazing. That's 
That's beautiful. And more more praxis, <laughs> definitely. Don't mind me being like, where might you publish this information? Um, <laughs> no, well, I think- no, I mean, I mean, that's that's important. It, that's important, too. It, it takes it takes all of it all fronts. working together. Yeah. But but it's it's refreshing for for two people who, who have spent a lot of time in, in academic land. It's refreshing to hear the, oh, actually, we just decided to do the thing. And it's like, great, that is, that is good. <laughs> um, so awesome. We're Thank doing you. the thing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We're excited about it. And, you know, the more we put out about it, the more there, we had an article written about us in Mashable last week. And there was a, a 60-some-year-old clean, sober, like blacksmith <laughs> that I, she lives, she lives on, she lives on some land in Tennessee and she's gonna, she's gonna make our own medallions for us. Oh. So like, and she's like, I'd really like to do this and design them. And like, I think I can handle this many, like this would be my capacity, but like I, I'd share my molds with other people, but I'd like, I'd really like to do this for my community to like give them something in their pocket that represented like queer rural like the fight here to stay clean and bare and bare knuckle it and like build build your life back together brick by brick by brick it's it's hard it's hard to to do that in a very small community where everyone knows your broken places and the places where you failed and the places where you kind of weren't strong enough um it's really it's hard to do that and and she explaining that and that she just you know how important it is when she is having a hard time out and she reaches in her pocket and feels her chip that she Mm -hmm. she wants to to put that in people's to put a little bit of hope in everyone's pocket she wrote I love that 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 we that we see each other and we're out here and we're we got each other even though we might not even though you might not see me when you look out your window if you look look through your phone or look through your laptop and you'll see us just fine yeah. Oh, oh my that. God. Queer medallions. So amazing. Like I can't, the des- I can't wait to, I'm going to have to follow up to see those designs. Cause that just sounds like a wonderful, I'm, wonderful I'm excited idea. excited about them. I'm excited they're going to be so, them. I can I'm just tell they're going to be badass. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. So I would love to know more about your sort of politics of redistributing wealth as a Marxist. I was excited to see that that is, um, part of your part of your plan. So I know in terms of your micro grant programs and your fundraisers, can you talk about sort of why that feels important to you to find ways mm-hmm. to put money back in the hands of other people? Yeah, it um, it feels important to us for for the same reason that that QA recovery feels important to us. That that praxis is if you if you come to our region if you come to where we live and you you see the poverty and you see the beauty and you see all of it i think that there's a real sense of urgency and that we ha- we have to do things now we have a history of way too many politicians and not enough leaders in appalachia and it's it's really re- rendered some really complicated politics that are the law now i mean if you just just look at Don Blankenship, who just lost a a Senate bid last week, thankfully, but I mean, he, I mean, he killed 29 miners at Upper Big Branch Mine. He's a, he's a legitimate monopoly coal baron. And the way that the fines are, the way that the mining law is dictated within the state of West Virginia, it is literally easier to pay fines than to fix the problems that the fines are for. And that's dangerous for the miners. Mm-hmm. But if 
if West Virginia has a history, I hope it's that everyone understands that no one cares about the minors except the minors. That, that's always been how it is. I mean, and like, it was ludicrous to me that Blankenship was willing to even throw his hat in the ring for a Senate bid. But it just goes to show you the standard of politics. And it looked like he was actually maybe going to win until Trump decided to do a bunch of crazy 4 a.m. tweets about him. <laughs> There's just so much that needs to change. And we feel that that we we have to we have to act now we have to do things and that if we we've just been waiting a long time it feels like we've been waiting a long time here i think everyone probably feels like they've been waiting a long time for government at the at the city county state national level to start to do fix things but they're just breaking things more i mean la- i saw last week i saw them literally <laughs> what they've done at the Mountain Valley Pipeline tree sips with Red Terry. Like here you have a 61-year-old woman who is on her own property in a tree sip, and they've made that illegal. Wow. Mm. Like they put a warrant, they put a warrant out for her. There were no taxes. Like they were paid. The taxes were paid. These were the most law-abiding white people. <laughs> you right. know? Right. It's, you know, we, the government is caring more about corporations than than people and mm-hmm. we can't wait we can't wait for for them to start to fix every anything yeah. from from our dependence on fossil fuel to the opioid epidemic to to eat class and yeah. reparations and all these things yep. like they're not going to say these words that we want them to say yep. even though other governments have like if you look at what Britain has done with reparations i mean they're still paying it yeah but they 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 figured out a way to do it and they're willing to commit to like, you know, um, a century plus payment plan. But I mean, we, we, we won't say it right at, at all. And we, we don't feel we can wait on people anymore. And that it's, it's almost, and from a personal psychological standpoint, you can't ask people to do things you're not willing to do yourself. Right. That is the very definition of hypocrisy. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. you can't ask people to change their lives in ways that you're not willing to change your own. Yeah. That, you know, if we want it to be something that people think about every day, if we want it to be something that we talk about till all of the the ugly, hard anxiety that comes with those conversations start to, like, it's going to feel like that till we unpack it, you know? And, and so we've we've decided that it's important to us to to visibly do it and to verbally do it and to document doing it and to doing it with a lot of transparency and accountability. We never thought people would give us so much money. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it was a surprise. All fall, all fall was just a series of texts between people, <laughs> like <laughs> looking at daily totals, going, "Is this really happening? Like we have to make something nicer than we thought we were going to make." Mm-hmm. Like, that that's all it was and even then like even at the beginning of this year when i stopped the gofundme i mean then we just sold out of the printing right i mean we're 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 ordering our our next run as as we speak we've been able to continue to make money the more random merch i i design whether it's boot koozies mm-hmm. or pink glitter dolly park Pardon, rocking chair pins for porch season. Like they buy, people buy it. Like, There's a big old market for that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're going to keep giving me money. I'm going yeah. to keep doing things. And we're going to, we're going to put that with our zine sales and we're going to give it back to the people that gave it to us. We all, we had a big conversation and everyone involved in the collective feels very lucky to be able to support themselves being a professional artist. Uh, we understand that is not the norm in Appalachia in the South and that we want to invest that money back in our community. And we hope in doing that, we can redefine the cultural landscape for queer Appalachia. Beautiful. Our grant are $500 to $2,500. And we're going to be taking submissions all summer. You can find out how to do that on our website. And we're going to start redistributing our first installment at the end of the summer. Amazing. Cool. we've We've, We've had some cool things come in. Some of the submissions range, range it, they're all over the map. It's from interactive art displays, installations, to street medic Antifa training for the fascist rallies that we're having. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It yeah. really runs the gamut. It's yeah. amazing how people want to get involved. And we want to fund every one of them. So cool. That's great. So just to back, I have a, a follow-up question on something you mentioned earlier about uh, responses to your internet presence on Instagram. And it's very clear in looking at your work online and all the things that you've been sharing with us tonight that the queer Appalachian community is plugged in. Like you have an, a network that that is able to stay together in some part due to the internet and also because of the love that exists in that area. But we were curious about what other communities you're reaching, you know, like, is it, do you feel like some of it is like educating the urban queer community that doesn't, is not clear? What reactions do you get beyond building, which is the most important is to build your community up, right? But like, what other reactions are you getting? And like, don't worry about the trolls because obviously they exist, but like, yeah, who who else connects with you? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I we get I think there's some people that that are allies. We we get allies for sure. And I think in terms of of kind of that rural urban divide, I think that mm-hmm. I can't talk about that on my end without talking about the concept of brain drain, and that and that is definitely a, an Appalachian term and phenomenon mm-hmm. of of when when everyone leaves everyone's taught to leave Mm -hmm. you leave for work or if you're queer you leave for work and to be safe Mm. um i I have a very i have a very clear memory of second grade and the teacher writing on the board all the r's we were going to learn that year and she added two and it was the road to roanoke like it was Mm. a colloquial joke in the early 80s that that we were all going to leave like we, that's what you did mm. if you if you weren't going to if you weren't going to be employed by coal what are you doing here mm-hmm. um there's nothing here for you and even then coal has been leaving for decades and that's and that's why you see west virginia and kentucky you see appalachian states always have the most dwind, like the fastest leaving population every year i think west virginia's had that honor for the past decade now mm. um so I think one thing that we do in addition to connecting those those urban people that are kind of looky loose because I know when I know when they show their hand when they say really when they take up space when mm-hmm. they get out of their yeah. lane like mm-hmm. I'll put I'll put something like um I there was a post that had a rebel flag in it and this person like went off on me 
about uh, about yeah, not yeah, having yeah. a trigger warning on the uh, not having a trigger warning like and then they other people like came and started like saying yeah 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 but when i when i looked and saw if the other people commenting even followed us they didn't yeah. like i take this it was one of those things but it got it comes down and i'm nice like i'm customer service nice when it comes <laughs> to that i'm not about fighting people i'm not about fighting people on the internet i mm-hmm. ain't got time for that mm-hmm. but um you know, but like that lets me know that you are like, it's cool if you want to be here, but like, this isn't for you. Cause like the people that this is for have to navigate a hundred million of those. Like they don't go to their grandma's for Christmas. They they're like, they can't go to the grocery store. Like right. they are constantly bombarded by the rebel flag. It, it, in possibly even in their home, if right. they're still living with home and family, or when they go, they go to relatives' homes or their friends, or I mean, like, yep. I I found my I found myself having an an exchange um, in in Walmart recently with someone I went to high school with, and um, her her husband was there with her, and at, at the end of our conversation, he came up, and I was thinking to myself during this conversation, this is a very lovely conversation I'm having. And then he comes up, and he's in a Proud Boys T-shirt. Oh I'm man! Like, oh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> like, here oh, you yeah. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. And I'm like, but she's nice to me. But like yeah, that that they also do that. Um, you know, it's like what we have to interact with. If I would, if I were to take all of you listening to this to my local mall, to Mercer Mall, <laughs> in Mercer County, West Virginia. There would be a rebel flag kiosk, and you could buy toothbrushes wow. and shoelaces and dog beds. Like, <laughs> oh, like that yeah. person, like that person, obviously isn't from this area. Right. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. unvalidating their experience that they would like a trigger warning, and that's hard for them to see. But like, that's the space is for people that see that so much that they can't even process it anymore. Right. Right. This, this space. This space is for. Um, so, I mean, there, there is that, those people there, but I think to me, the most surprising kind of urban demographic that we've tapped into is, are the people that left. We like, Mm. that's how we raise that money. That's how, that's how we sell so much. I, I have, I have shipped zines from Dublin to Dubai. I've had to do complicated packing instructions <laughs> where places it was illegal for me to send it to. Wow. Like people, everyone has, has left for decades. Everyone has left and they have been taught that this is something to be ashamed of. They have been taught that this is something, you know, that JD Vance narrative, this is something to be beat. You mm. have to win. Like you can't let this, you like you, you can't, you, like if you own it, you somehow you're not strong enough to succeed. Like you have to beat it down. His, mm-hmm. All of his bootstrap ideology mm-hmm. and rhetoric that he that he spurts, and we've kind of found this really special way. It was through Bryn. It, you know, it was Bryn. It was her sense of humor. It was her special way of being like, yeah. <laughs> This, this, you know, it's like that that quote from from S Town. It's a clusterfuck of sorrow, but it's beautiful, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny, and it's ours, and it's where we come from. And there's some really great things about it that make us who we are, and that's really special. And and th- this place needs us in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. It it needs us to call our senators. It needs it needs us to move home if you want to move home. 
You know, it, it needs you to take a valued interest in it in whatever way that can accommodate, be accommodating in your life for you to own your roots here and make it a better place. Absolutely. Uh, I That's, it's, again, I'm not from the South, but just my relationship to growing up around working class white folks, it's it's that sort of dichotomy of it's a, it's a lot of fucked up shit, but it is a lot. There's so much beauty in, in what you learn from it and who you become because of it. And so I'm feeling very moved and touched. So thank you again. Every... I feel I feel like, oh, I'm sorry. No, you go, go, go. You go well, ahead. It's, it's, so, it's, it's so cool that that you that you are able to to not be not be and still have empathy and compassion because it's everyone in the past two years since the the election everyone has sent you know a news crew to Appalachia to talk to explain these ignorant hillbillies and how they they shot themselves in the foot and all of us along Mm. with them like like Al Jazeera did a three-part series from Kentucky wow like like everyone everyone has done this and it's it's kind of like that um that that Japanese proverb that's like um the trees kept voting for the axe because they could only see its handle and thought it was one of them. Mm. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. that we, like everyone's been talking about queer Appalachia long before we even were around. Mm-hmm. Like when, mm-hmm. even when we first started, when we first launched and started doing things, the world was talking about queer Appalachia. Right. The bathroom laws, the very first bathroom laws happened in West Virginia. Then they went to North Carolina and it got really loud. Yeah. Kim Davis was starting to be in the national headline, you know, and then with the election, it just got hyperbole, the, the Appalachia attention. Yeah. And in, in some ways it, it still is. It feels really, all of us doing this work feel feel proud and good about about creating this platform to for self-documentation during this time where there's so many just ludicrous assumptions about about our culture and community especially with with jd vance's rise and and things like that and it's great that the more narratives that sort of counter those monolithic myths the better and it's it's complicated it's nuanced of course there are people that fit the the narrative of the of the backwards trump supporter but that's not all that it is and and so again just really amazing work yeah and i was just gonna just as a if people's brains are moving the way that mine is like it would also be cool to have to have a longer conversation about the mediated representation of West Virginia post-Trump, um, like just kind of like, because I feel like there's some cultural appropriation going on too, like from the urban, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and I can't really put words into it right now, but it's like, I, I'm feeling it where like, there's like the empathy, you know, the empathy obviously is good understanding, but then there's like, well, uh, capitalizing on this like chic coal mine vibe you know which seems ludicrous but like i swear white people will find a way rich white people will find a way to like (laughs) sell anything and so anyways it's just getting me thinking about the media and like how that yeah and we we see we i mean we deal with this stuff all the time but like i think a a big hot button for us would be like carhartt like you have Mm -hmm. very very working class clothes (laughs) made specifically for working class class work that that's manual labor and it, it's made a certain way and it's made well but it's getting to the point where we we can't afford it when wild fang 
starts yep. carrying yep. Carhartt. No. When it, when it starts to be in, you know, in runways in, in, right. in Milan and, right. you know, in New York, uh. it, it things when our culture is is kind of stolen from us we can't and we can't even afford yeah, it right. because oh. we are so rural and and working class yeah <laughs> it's it's really complicated a couple a couple weeks ago there was a um, i for, i forget the name of the fashion house that did it but they put a line together that they called yeehaw juice and they oh, did a photo shoot but the the photo shoot that they like and they like wrapped like the pitch and the shoot and the explanation were all in the same paragraph and it was like we we want to take you down to to dolly parton's tennessee and and treat you right and yada 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 <laughs> and then like at the end of it it was like the millennial aha and it was like but we couldn't do that so we went to a barn in upstate new york oh my gosh <laughs> and did and did this photo shoot and it was it was really it was like my people were like on yeah <laughs> that's awesome like they they like went to went to the, and they went and the messages and and the comments and and like the the call out for class appropriation and and like some of it was just funny and they were like those are English saddles. They're like, you don't even, like your visuals are even off. Right. Like this is such a mockery of rural people. Like you don't even have the right. Like, right. These saddles don't even make sense in the context that you're putting them right. in. Like on top of all the other bullshit you have here, like the visuals don't add up. Right. Like being able to, we're a place where people get to call that out where someone mm-hmm. can send something in and say, I saw this and I, I can post it up and 70,000 people see it. And, and it's not like they go and attack. We're not, we did attack the Yeehaw juice people, but even with that, even with hundreds of comments from them, no one ever edited anything. I haven't gone back and checked it in a few weeks, but like no one said anything. No one sent us any messages. No one, from that fashion house interacted with us at all over it, mm. even with those like literally a uh, hundred comments wow. from rural que- queers being like, get the fuck out of here. Right. And they like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even acknowledge it was going on. Wow. But at least we provide a place where they can talk about it to each other, that mm-hmm. they can, they can, they can share their feelings. And for some people, there, I got some messages from that, that from people that were like, you know, I, I didn't know I, people that were just like, I didn't think of it like that. I needed to have it all laid out for me in that order to see it. Right. Because I mean, there's a huge, there's a very significant amount of our following that is very blue collar, very working class. They have a GED. Some of them don't even have a GED. And we kind of process that hyper academic queer world for them a little bit. Yeah. Our post, our graphics are designed intentionally to be accessible, to make that world accessible and not for it to be another boundary saying you are stuck there and not yep. good enough. Amazing. So speaking of, speaking of which though, in terms of like connecting your community, just as our wrap up uh, question for you, can you just let listeners know, you know, two things like one, if, if they identify as queer Appalachian, like how they can find you. And then also for other people who want to support you, what are the best ways to plug in with your collective? You can find us online. We're, we're queer Appalachia. 
one word on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those things. The website is queerappalachia.com. And you you can send us money through through PayPal through the website, and we would be very very grateful. We will be launching our Patreon within the next month. That will be more focused on QA recovery things like there'll be there'll be a specific amount where you can actually sponsor a sponsor, things like that. Amazing, amazing, Mamon. Thank you so so much. I was I'm. I just, I'm feeling a lot of feelings right now. It was wonderful to hear your reflection oh. on all of this. And um, I'm just, um, just thank you. Oh, we're super grateful. Thank, thank you so much. Come on down, have a look around. The rich folks are living in a poor folks town. We got no money, but we're rich in love. That's one thing that we got so come on down, have a look around The rich folks are living in a poor folks town We got no carpets on the floor We got wall-to-wall love, who could ask for more? We got no fancy things to show Just a place to watch our children grow So come on down, have a look around The rich folks are living in a poor folks town We got no money but we're rich in love that's the one thing that we got a plenty of, so come on down, have a look around. The rich folks living in a poor folks town. We got no big fine car to drive and no fancy clothes to keep in style. We're rich in things that life can give that can't be bought with a dollar bill. So come on down, have a look around. The rich folks living in a poor folks town. We got no money but the rich in love. That's one thing that we got a plenty of, so come on down, have a look around, a rich folk living in a poor folks town. Simple church nearby and a promise of a mansion in the sky. Got a heart of gold, a million dollar smile, and a satin cloud that's silver lined. So come on down, have a look around, the rich folks live.